Welcome to Joey's Horror Corner, where we talk about everyone's favorite scary genre. Today is the day I get to talk about my favorite horror movie and potentially favorite movie of all time, Get Out by Jordan Peele. This movie is so impactful. It's truly a modern classic that takes so long to see. It's very hard to know what movies you're watching at, like, currently that are going to be big in the future, what people are going to remember and associate with this generation with or the genre with. And I truly believe that Get Out is the next classic. If you look up best movies of all time, Get Out is often on there, especially with horror, psychological horror. It does so much from both the storytelling standpoint and the message within it being very powerful and something original. A lot of movies these days have started to talk a little bit more about social, like try to add a little bit of messages about social issues like racism and sexism and homophobia. And although those are very important, a lot of movies tend to say the same thing, while Get Out has a very original and metaphoric message to it that I'm very excited to get into and talk about. I don't know everything about the subject itself. It covers racism, specifically modern racism, as Jordan Peele describes it after the Barack Obama era where, oh, we have a black president, as, he, as Jordan Peele says, oh, now that we have a black president, there's really no racism in America, that being a belief that people had when it was very much the case, as we know now in 2020, as that can become a more prevalent topic. I think this movie is more important than ever before, both for appreciating its plot, but more importantly for the messages it shares of how, even if we're not racist, we do treat people of different races differently. start off, I'm going to try to keep the summary short and sweet because I know I'm going to have a lot to say about the analysis. And so the very first movie of the scene starts off with a character named Andre walking in the street on the telephone and he notices a car tries to slow down and starts to follow him. He gets a little bit nervous and then says, screw this, I'm going home, not getting kidnapped today. And as he tries to, someone comes out with a mask on and knocks him out, dragging him to the car and putting him in the trunk. With no context given to it, then you go to Chris and Rose. Rose is a white girl with a black boyfriend named Chris, which is important because Chris is going to be visiting Rose's parents for the first time this weekend, and he asks out of concern if they know that he's black. And she says, no, she didn't think that that was important. She's never had a black boyfriend before, and he brings up concern and worry that he think it will be or that they'll treat him differently because of it. She assures him that they're not that kind of family and even makes the comment my dad would vote for Obama a third time if he could and trust me he will say that. On the way up there Chris gets a call from his friend Rod Williams who will be dogs who will be dog singing Chris's dog for the weekend. Rod asks some questions and makes a little spooky scare superstition about oh you're visiting the white parents girlfriend watch out be careful which Chris dismisses to the side. Rose makes this quick fake comment about wanting to be with Rod this whole time, and then they're done talking on the phone. Chris starts to smoke a cigarette, which with Rose gets upset about and asks him not to because it's bad for him. Which, and during that time, they accidentally hit a deer in the road. This really upsets Chris as he looks at the deer, not really able to move, and Rose causes the pol- calls the police. The police said she could have she should have called the animal control and said that they were there, gave a number, and told them what to do. And then, seemingly out of nowhere, he asks for Chris's driver's license. And Rose says, no, I was driving, you don't need his. And the police says, it's protocol. Chris is very ready for this. And he has his license out and he's like, okay, here you go. But Rose is like, no, that's BS. I don't, you don't need that. She's very defensive of the situation. 
because she knows that he's only asking it because Chris is black and the officer is white. Sadly, a very relatable subject nowadays. And so the officer, very annoyed, just tells her to go get her bender fixed and leaves them to that. Chris is very happy that Rose would stand up for him in that situation and very much admires her for the courage to actually stand up to the officer. When they go to the house, Rose's parents are very welcoming Chris and give him a tour of the house, showing them the kitchen and the backyard and the dining room, which he finds two maids of the house, a black woman named Georgina and a black man named Walter, which obviously gives a little bit of Aunt vibes, a very rich white family having this. The father later explains that he knows and he hates how it feels, but it was, they got them while his parents were alive and they kept them around after they passed because they became part of the family to them. He also explains, he has a picture of Jesse on the, Jesse Owens on the wall, who, in case you don't know, won the Olympics while Hitler was in power to disprove that Hitler's superior white race theory was wrong. It turns out that Rose's grandfather was competing against Jesse Owens, and which his father says, yeah, he almost got over it. Just a quick little snippet, try to get Chris introduced. They eventually have tea outside, in which Chris's smoking problem is addressed, and they mention that Rose's mother is a hypnotist, and she can get rid of that smoking problem just with a quick hypnosis. Chris declines, saying that he doesn't really like the theory, and Rose tries to tell him to chill out a little bit, and with that, it is time for dinner, where they will meet Rose's brother. At dinner, everyone is getting along, and Chris meets Rose's brother, Jeremy. Jeremy comes off as a little bit off, maybe just a little bit socially awkward, but a bit aggressive, making some comments asking what sports Chris is playing, or if he knows any fighting techniques. Obviously only saying this because of Chris's race, which Chris picks up on, but tries to play with casually. The family tries to ask him to tone it down, but Chris tries to keep it cool, doesn't want to start a scene. Where he says, yeah, he learned jujitsu when he was a kid. And Jeremy starts to make comments that says with your body and your type that you would make a freaking beast, is the way he phrases it, and tries to get into a fist fight at the table. Chris stops it, and so does the family, leaves Jeremy B, who's obviously a little bit drunk and being a bit rude to Chris, to say the least. That night, Chris Rose makes comments to Chris about how her family acted so different, her dad started saying phrases like, my man, my man, which Chris says, uh-huh, like very much expecting it, and Rose realizing that he was right and they treat him differently, and that she's sorry that they don't get it. Chris was, as he explains, was expecting this. It's not a surprise, but it doesn't upset him because they are supportive of their relationship, and that's what matters at the end of the day. Later that night, Chris wakes up and he has this sudden craving for a cigarette. So he decides to take one outside and smoke one, which where he sees the housekeeper, Walter, start running towards him seemingly and then take a turn, a little bit socially awkward. He also sees Georgina awake and looking at herself in the mirror, trying to adjust her hair, looking strangely oddly out the window, but tries to ignore it, trying to seem that these are normal things that he's just misinterpreting out of fear. When he goes inside, he sees Rose's mother sitting in her office telling her that she telling him that she is not okay with him smoking around her daughter forcing him to take a seat she starts to secretly start a hypnosis section asking some questions that leads to chris's mother's death 
Chris's mother died when he was a kid because she was killed in a hit in Broughton. On a, and on a, what really hurts is the fact that she could have lived if she survived and if people actually knew what happened to her, if the police found her quicker, but they didn't. And it hurts him and he blames himself for not finding her himself. And she uses that guilt to get him into a very emotional state where he feels like he can't move or breathe. She seems very willingly to know of this and starts to, to, starts to spin the tea in her cup with a spoon, almost ritualistically. And then she tells him to go to the sink, sunken place where he could not move or breathe or talk, just be and look like he is in this void. The next day he wakes up, assuming all of this is a nightmare, and gets on with his day where the rest of Rose's family will be visiting. As the rest of Rose's family visits, the more uh, not racist, but still racist comments ensues as the family member who's really into golf makes a note to tell Chris that he loves Tiger and other people making comments about black being in fashion or even inappropriate sexual comments of what it's like to have a black boyfriend, which both takes Chris and Rose very taken aback to these comments and even the two trying to get away from the situation. Chris is a photographer and so he takes his camera and starts walking into the woods where he meets one of Rose's uncles who's much more understanding and tells him they, they, don't under, they don't get it. They don't understand what they're saying. He seems to be a lot more understanding and even gets into a conversation about being a blind art critic and who Chris apparently knows of and admires. This uncle knows Chris's artwork and very much looks up to it. The two seem to be getting along, which wouldn't seem to be the case, knowing how the family has treated him so far. When Chris gets back, there's another black member who looks very much like someone he knows but can't put his finger on it. When he turns around, we see it's Andre from the beginning of the movie, but he looks very different. He's wearing very different old-fashioned clothing, and he talks even in a different tone, and he goes by Andrew instead of Andre, which is what he typically goes by. And he has this very stiff-toned conversation, which Chris seems he sounds like a white woman, as Chris describes it later on in the movie. And as this happens, Chris tries to take a picture because he can swear on the tip of his tongue he knows who this is. And when he turns the flash on, takes a picture of Andrew, he's, everything stops. He stops talking. He seems to have woken up from something and starts to scream, get out, with blood rushing from his nose, starting to shake Chris. Chris is, everyone's taken aback by this and tries to take Andre into another room to fix it, in which he's trying to scream and pull away from them. During that time, Chris tries to let his friend, tells his friend Rod about these situations, to which Rod very much makes a joke of these people being, trying to keep them as inappropriate slaves to say the least, which sort of adds a bit of comedic relief to the story, because although there's reason to, there's reason to believe how, what Rod does, he takes it to a little bit too of an extreme of they're trying to kidnap black people, which is like, haha, of course that wouldn't be the case, this is 2017, obviously. When they get back, Andre apologizes for behavior, and Rose's father, who's a neuroscientist, claims that it was a simple seizure, even though Rose and Chris claim that that's not typically what someone with a seizure would act like. Nevertheless, Chris and Rose go out into the wood, Chris claiming that he wants to go home and just doesn't feel comfortable anymore with the situation. And Rose, although being upset, understands and agrees that they, she can make up an excuse that night and they can go home away from this uncomfortable situation for everyone. During 
this time when Chris and Rose are talking on their own, we notice a bingo game that the rest of the family is playing, an odd one where they ho everyone holds up a different chart of bingo up as Rose's father seems to be carrying a different number. And as we expand out of the shot, we see that it is not an, it's not just a game of bingo, but actually an auction with a picture of Chris as the prize, making it seem that Rod wasn't too off with his seemingly extreme analysis of what was going on. As they come back later that night, the entire family stares, smiling but very uncomfortably at Chris and Rose as they walk inside. Rose makes up the excuse that Chris's dog has to go to the vet and they have to leave first thing, which the family seems understanding of, and as Chris wraps up his things, he looks into the attic. He looks into this like almost half drawer connected to the room that he's in, Rose's room, and he sees a bunch of pictures of Rose, which he first seems as sweet. But then he notices pictures of Rose with black boyfriends, which is odd because she claims she's never had one before, and here are piles and piles and piles of them until we see pictures of Andre, Walter, and Georgina, which are both Andrew from earlier and the two in the house caretakers. Chris realizes something is horribly wrong and that Rod was right and he needs to get out immediately now aware that Rose is in on this, even though it was seemingly like it wasn't so. As he tries to leave, Rose claims that she's trying to get her keys as her father says something ominous and her brother comes over with a baseball bat in hand. And after a while, she screams. Her face, after going from fear, goes completely still, holds up the keys and says, you know I can't give this to you. And at that, Chris loses hope and he gets knocked out into the sunken place. He wakes up the next day into a room with a deer's antler head in the background and a television. He's tied with ropes. He's tied with ropes to this chair where they start to play a movie and it's Rose's grandfather, the one who lost to Jesse Owens. He never did get over that situation and had this belief that bl black people's bodies were superior to white people's bodies, although white people's brains were superior, were superior to black people's brains. With this obsession, he had this experiment called the coagula, where after studying neuroscience and Rose's father doing the same, they've figured a way to have a brain transfer where the system would be, Rose would start to date a black man or woman have her eventually meet his parents and then remove their brain all except that little stem that needs to keep the rest of the body moving with with a white person in the family's brain hence why the auction was there hence why the auction was there and people were battling over who would take this body which we later find out that Georgina is actually her grandmother's brain inside of Georgina's body, and Walter is actually their grandfather's brain inside of his body, almost a case of immortality in a very racist, very extreme sense. When Chris realizes he needs to get out, he decides to pick some of the cotton out of the chair and stuff his ears, because every night they would use the recording of his mother clinking a teacup, which would typically make him pass out due to hypnosis. He knows this and by plugging his ears he's able to stay awake so when Jeremy comes in trying to roll him into the surgery room, he's able to grab a ball and knock Jeremy out, able to escape. With this we find that the person who was going to go into Chris's body was the blind, was the blind picture, picture critic who seemingly was in love with Chris and claimed that he didn't care about any of the racist BS he claims and how that was dumb. He just wanted Chris's eyes. He wanted his vision for photography. In an act of self-defense, Chris attacks the father with the head of a deer that was hung into the wall, goes up, ends up killing the mother, 
and after struggle kills Jeremy. Rose in her room, trying to look online for another victim, and eventually realizes something is wrong. Chris runs away, and he starts to get into the car. With it. he starts to get into the car and accidentally hits Georgina. Due to the grief from his mother, knowing that she could have lived with the if the hit and run didn't happen, he puts Georgina in the car, hoping that she wouldn't wake up to attack him. Rose now realizes something is wrong, and she and Walter, who she calls Grandpa, starts to chase the two. When Chris ends up starts driving, Georgina wakes up and starts trying to claw at Chris, who eventually crashes, accidentally killing Georgina. When he leaves, Walter is running towards Chris. Chris takes out his phone, turns on his flashlight and puts on his flash and takes a picture, which he realizes takes Walter out of the trance. Walter shoots Rose in the stomach and then shoots himself in the head, knowing that he would only wake up back in the same endless hypnotic state because, as they claim part of your brain is left in there, a flash would send that off and for a few seconds you were conscious of what is happening to you. That was Walter, not the grandpa, that shot himself in the head to make sure that this deadly cycle could end. A car and Chris tries to kill Rose but doesn't have an in him so he just walks away and unfortunately a police car comes up and Chris realizes that there's no way he can get out of the situation innocent with his fingerprints everywhere and he knows he'll be accused so he just puts his hands up. But luckily we see a door from the TSA which is where Rob William works. It's Rod, his friend who knew something was wrong and decided to come over, doesn't trust Rose or anyone else. He simply puts Chris in the car and they drive home. Get Out is a very important movie from both a horror-telling standpoint. It introduces psychological horror, which although has been used in elements in other movies, this movie has next to no gore. It is almost entirely psychological. You just are feared by the music or some of the silent scenes actually get you to build up to this very climactic drop, like, truth bomb of what's truly happening here that's very frightening in theory when you really think about it. But more importantly, from a social standpoint, the commentary that is made is very original and very important in modern society. Jordan Peele had a lot of thought going into this movie, and although it seemed just like a simple white people thinking they're better than black people premise, there's a lot more to it. This family isn't racist. They are very kind to Chris. The difference is they don't treat him badly, but they treat him differently, and that's the important note Jordan Peele wanted to make. It's not that we see one is better or worse than the other, it's that we see, we almost, he claims that the white race almost, uh, white people almost objectify black people in the sense that they're either considered to be certain, doing certain kinds of sports, like Jeremy thought, or if they act differently in general, like almost go out of their way to appear not to be racist because they see them as different, not the same, even though they are equal. This is shown a lot, especially when the family visits and make this series of commentary about Tiger and black being in fashion, showing that it was almost objectified and sometimes almost used in a sense that they're not treated fully as people, even though they're not treated as terribly as they were in the past. Jordan Peele's main goal with this movie was to say not that racism was as bad as it was before, but the fact that people think that it's dying out, the more representation that it's had, when it's simply not the case. That there's this modern racism, that I'm not racist, but to, in an improfessional setting, that this movie shows very much in a very metaphorical sense. 
from a storytelling standpoint, it's also interesting to know the for the amount of foreshadowing that's in this movie that you never pick up, but makes it so worth rewatching. In the beginning of the movie, the father says, we always keep a bit of our grandmother in the kitchen. When it does, it pans to Georgina, which has the brain of their grandmother. There's a lot of other hints throughout the movie of what's happening, including an analogy of a deer. When they hit the deer, they explain to their parents that's why there was a bit of a delay. And the father makes this very strange commentary about hating deer and the less there are in the world, the better. And seeing the deer in the room, that seeing the deer head in the room that kept Chris shows that it is an analogy for black people. There's also the interesting oxymoron of Cotton saving Chris from evil because, as we know back in the day, black people were used as slaves specifically, at least commonly, to sew cotton. There's a lot of commentary in here, obviously, a lot of thought into put into it, and a lot of detail that I find obviously very important in horror and i think the reason i love it is because of that sense but also because it shows the horror isn't just this medium to scare you and you're dumb there's so much metaphorical potential in the genre because even though we may not be killing things physically there's a lot of metaphorical kills and deaths and kind of these like obscure things we repress that are often shown in horror texas chainsaw massacre is a good example off the top of my head where it's made to talk about the, it's basically made where the villains are the things that we repress but are also in ourselves, so you sympathize with the villain. There's a lot of commentary like that that makes me truly in awe of the genre and just how much we can do with it. Thank you so much for finishing this three-part podcast series. These were the three movies, Psycho, The Shining, and Get Out, that I found both the most important ones in general and the ones that have impacted me the most. I was very happy to talk about them. I have a lot of thoughts. I know I didn't get to get all of them out there, but I thought I'd get the most important out there. Tried to add a bit of insight, which some may be common, especially if you're a film nerd like me who go out and watch videos about what these movies mean along with the movies themselves, because... If you love horror and you love movies, these are just the things that you fall in love with. Get Out was one of the few movies that got me into the horror genre. This and It. Before that, I was pretty much like a pansy. I didn't... I was scared of my own shadow, but once I got into this, I got... I found this genre was just so unique in plot. And yes, there are plenty of stereotypes out there. Some which you enjoy because they're cheesy, as you do with any genre, but some that are profound and insightful and underappreciated. And I just love the amount of... The fact that horror is able to make commentary without banging it over your head just because of the way it's crafted and how metaphoric it can be. Because a lot of these things we wouldn't do literally, but translate in a more metaphoric sense, as I explained with Get Out specifically. Thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoyed. I hope to add a little bit. Hope you got to appreciate these movies a little bit more by knowing what got into them. And I hope you have a good day. And until the next time, happy hauntings. <laughs>